Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michelle, and welcome to your weekly astrology forecast for the week of July 20th through July the 26th. Uh, we have a busy week in the sky ahead here, uh, including a new moon at 28 degrees of Cancer, where the sun and the moon will be conjoining, giving us a new uh, set of circumstances or divine assignment or a new chapter in the narrative. Uh, that new moon will be opposing Saturn exactly at 28 degrees of Capricorn. So we'll try to unpack what that might mean. Um, as we move forward through Tuesday, Mercury will be making a conjunction to the fixed star Alhina, which we saw a few weeks ago when it was in retrograde motion, but now it'll be conjoining that same fixed star uh, as it moves direct. Um, that is the proudly marching one. So we'll, we'll talk about some of the mythology behind Alhina. Uh, on Wednesday, the 22nd, Venus will be making a conjunction to Rigel, the foot of Orion um, that is stepping into the, the great river in the sky. So um, we'll discuss that. That happens at about 17 degrees of Gemini. Um, and then the sun will be moving into the first decan of Leo. So we'll try to uh, welcome Leo season and, and unpack the symbolism around that. And finally, we'll have... Uh, Mercury sextiling Uranus that same day on Wednesday. And as we move forward through the week, Mars will conjoin the fixed star Alpharetz at 14 degrees of Aries. And then on Sunday, Venus will move into the third decan of Gemini. We'll talk about the Ten of Swords. And Mercury will conjoin the fixed stars Canopus and Sirius. Okay, so I hope that you all are doing well this week. Apologize for getting this out a little bit later to you. I'm recording this on Sunday during the balsamic moon. Just had a very busy week um, doing a lot of studying. I've been taking some uh, some courses and uh, sitting in on some lectures. One one that I highly recommend is from a wonderful astrological scholar named Dorian Greenbaum, and I've been uh, taking in her her teachings about the daimon in Hellenistic astrology and the lots through. Uh, the Sophia Center at the University of Wales. So that's a pretty cool um, set of offerings that I would recommend that you check out if you still can. I think that you might be able to get recordings of the ones that you've missed. Um, also took in a really good lecture by uh, a fellow um, alumni of Nightlight Astrology named uh, Matthew Kenny, who did a very thorough and good talk on, on Saturn and how it was used in the traditional way so I wanted to give uh, him a shout out because uh, he did a really nice job and I got some really nice insights on Saturn that, that we'll talk about when we talk about the sun uh, opposing Saturn. Um, one of the things I really liked about what he said was thinking about Saturn as almost like a black hole. So we'll, we'll dive into that darkness as we get to that uh, transit. One little thing that I wanted to show you before we jump into the weeklies here is that you know, just a, a little review of what's been going on. We have some kind of, uh, we have a little bit of a, um, a wild card this week. And you can see on my screen, on my program, Starry Night Pro here, that we have a visitor right now. We have a comet, uh, which is called Neowise. And you can see that right here. It's hanging out um, as we speak. Uh, in the uh, constellation of the bear, okay? And we can see it right here in its tail. 
And it's been moving through the constellation of the links for the past few days or so. It originated and it first appeared um, near the constellation Orion. So I wanted to just take you on a little journey here. Now comets, now I, will, I will admit, and I think that I'm not alone in this, uh, met, there are many astrologers don't have a ton of experience with comets because they don't appear very often. Um, they only appear in the sky like kind of randomly. Um, and Well, I guess relatively randomly. I think there is some way to predict to predict when they will come back around. But um, a lot of the times it kind of takes us by surprise and we're like, oh, look, it's a comet. And uh, in traditional astrology and in traditional culture, um, like an eclipse, the, a comet was not necessarily a very um, welcome omen. Um, comets generally portended or were predicting uh, challenging events within the collective. And if we go back through, the, you can see the comet's movement here. See that? See it moving across the sky in, over the course of the days when it appeared? So you could see that this comet appeared here in the club of Orion, okay? That was kind of when we first were able to see it. And it's been moving uh, through, what do we got here? Is this a Riga? So this is, yeah, this is a Riga. So it moved through a Riga, okay? And then it moved through the links. Okay, you can see the links here in the sky. And now it's moving through the bear. It's gonna end up eventually, I believe, as we go further in our journey, we're gonna end up over here uh, near, I believe this is like a, a sheaf of wheat or, or potentially hair. I don't know a ton about this particular constellation yet. Um, like I said, I'm in the process, but it's gonna kind of disappear near um, Virgo, the Virgin. So it, I, I, my intuition with this particular comet, um, I believe that this one first started to be come into our awareness at the end of March, which can coincide pretty pretty well with like, uh, you know, the coronavirus and and some of the other collective challenges that we've been experiencing. And the ancients would think about what color the comet was and. Um, associate it with a certain planetary energy. Um, to me, this one looks sort of bluish, which I think had some some uh, associations with Mercury, but don't hold me to that um, because, like I said, I am not a comet expert. Uh, but what I think, just, just looking at, at how it's moving through the sky and some of the um, different constellations it's moving through, that's something I've been really working on over the last few weeks, and really, I, I, to be all honest about it, I've been obsessing about it, and I've ordered, I went on a little book buying binge this week. At the eclipse, I will, uh, you know, just a short aside, at the eclipse, we were being asked to let go of something, and at the, at the eclipse, I had this eclipse in my sixth house of like, you know, I guess amongst other things, time management, um, and how I'm using my, you know, I don't know, my schedule. And I had to get rid of this. Uh, <laughs> it sounds so silly, but I had a, a video game on my phone that I was playing that I was using to distract myself. 
And even though I was still being somewhat productive, it was definitely a time drain. And I think we all have our ways that we've been coping with um, quarantine and, and some of the more challenging things in the news. And I think that was my little compromise. Um, but I realized that it wasn't healthy and I had to let it go. And I think that um, <laughs> in true Taurus Moon fashion, I did a little bit of uh, retail therapy. Um, and the things that I like to buy are books. So whenever I um, get an inclining to buy things, it's, it's a giant stack of books. So I've been distracting myself this week with a, some really great books, actually. They're, they're pretty much all astrology books. I ordered a number of fixed star books. Um, I do want to give a shout out to... Um, my friend Elizabeth Hazel, who wrote this really cool book, uh, The Little Book of Fixed Stars, and I really highly recommend that one. She has a lot of practical wisdom in there. And I've been getting in touch with the mythological stories in astrology, too. Uh, and, and through Liz Green's work, I really, really recommend her work. Um, she may be more leaning towards the modern psychological astrology bent if you're more, you know, if you lean more towards the traditional. But I think that the way she treats archetypes and the mythological stories can be very useful no matter what type of astrology that you practice. So back to this comment. Um, I think that this comment, if I were to just think about this and off the cuff, it's originating in a constellation that has to do with uh, masculinity. You know, this, this um, constellation Orion was the hunter. And he was a, a hunter that was uh, boasting about his prowess. I b believe that he... Um, promised or boasted that he could kill one of every single animal and that didn't sit too well with artemis the the moon goddess and she sent uh the scorpion to to chase him and to uh to kill him and th there is this sky story that we can see with with orion okay who was literally a god in, to the egyptians uh, this is one of the things i'm learning from from my book hamlet's mill and burn at brady's book is that you know, they, when the ancients were looking at the sky, they literally thought of these, these constellations as, as manifestation of the gods. And we could see if I were to put, um, if I were to put Orion at the horizon, okay, at the eastern horizon here, uh, we could see the scorpion is going to be setting. So there's this constant motion or this constant, like we've got Orion over here now, and over here we're going to have the scorpion. Uh, beginning to set, if I can find it. Well, you'll have to trust me. So without getting too far down this rabbit hole, when Orion is rising, the scorpion is setting. When the scorpion is rising, Orion is setting. So this relationship between constellations at the different horizons, where things were appearing and things were disappearing, um, a lot of the cultural mythology was based on that, that type of interaction between these different constellational stories. So when we, when we go back and we look at this, this comet, we've got it originating in Orion, okay? We're talking about maybe a little bit of hubris and, and potentially toxic masculinity. And we'll, we'll talk about this this week too because we're going to talk about Rigel, which is in the foot of Orion. And you can see that that foot is in the river, the Eridanus. Okay, and this is a, a very long, one of the longest constellations in the sky. This is a river that goes through throughout much of the southern sky here. And it's kind of a river of knowledge. And, and one of the stories of Orion is this transition from potentially this raw, instinctual nature towards perhaps more refinement. And I think this comet 
maybe helping us with this and, and understanding this because it is moving from Orion and then over to the goddess, okay? Over to this uh, constellation associated with, with Demeter, with Ceres, with the Virgin, uh, with feminine power, okay? So we've got this kind of transition from this masculine authority to maybe a more feminine expression. Um, and we're seeing this play out, I think, in our, in our news cycles as well. Um, there's some interesting mythology going on in the news too. One of the things that came to my attention over the last week as I was meditating on what I was observing um, is last week we had the sun opposing Pluto and Saturn and Jupiter, but the sun-Pluto one really stuck out to me um, because we, I was seeing in the news that there were uh, unmarked uh, government vehicles um, for all intents and purposes abducting protesters in Portland. And this has also been happening in the Midwest and Ohio and things like that as well. Um, and that really um, stuck out to me as uh, a manifestation of that Hades and Persephone's myth, which was associated with abduction. And with it opposing the sun, which we've, we've been able to correlate with authority figures, you could see some of these kind of shady underworld dealings um, and abuses of power potentially um, happening. And the, the literal manifestation of some of these myths, I want to read this to you real quick, because this is a this is one of the books I got in the mail. This is um, Mythic Astrology, uh, Archetypal Powers in the Horoscope by Ariel Gutman and Kenneth Johnson. And it, it came out in the mid-90s. Um, so there is, some, uh, there is some modern psychological stuff in here. I would say that one of the things that they maybe uh, differ from the way that I use astrology is they do tend to associate things with the 12-letter alphabet of associating planets and signs and houses, which I've moved away from in my practice, but the stories themselves are, are really good in here, and, and there's a lot of value to be gleaned. And here, I'm just going to read you a little quote from the story of Demeter, Persephone, and Hades. It says, according to the story, Kore, Persephone, was the maiden daughter of Demeter, goddess of earth and the harvest. As she was picking flowers in a field near, near Ulysses, or Eleusis, I don't know how to pronounce that, that is E-L- E-U-S-I-S. The earth opened before her. With a rumble, a dark chariot emerged from the depths, driven by a dark rider. It was Hades, Pluto, lord of the underworld. He seized Kore and bore her unwillingly into the land of the dead. Okay, so this is like just a, a little excerpt from that. And, it, and it, we can see that there was, I believe there was a really famous um, Renaissance painting where we could see Pluto or Hades just erupting from the underworld and seizing uh, this, this innocent girl. And we saw that kind of play out in our collective where we're, we're seeing these dark shadowy figures erupting from out of seemingly out of nowhere uh, and, and abducting um, people who are kind of going about their business and, and trying to advocate for their, for their rights. And uh, it's disturbing. Um, it also is just sort of, um, I'm a little bit in awe of that too. As I've gotten more into sky observation and really trying to get in touch with the stories that are being played out in the sky, um, I'm seeing that more and more play out in the collective. And, and not just through the archetypes of the 12 zodiacal signs and or the constellations they are um, based on. 
but on the other sections of sky that, that rise with those particular decans as well. So one of the things that I've been doing lately is doing deep dive on the study of the decans, which are the 10 degree divisions of a sign. And I got this like book that at first I was like, oh, this book's only 60 pages and I paid 30 bucks for it and I was a little <laughs> miffed about it. But then I got into it and I was like, oh, this is some really good stuff in here. This is the Deccans of Abu Mashar. Um, and it's a little bit of an excerpt from his great introduction. Now, his full, the full translation of his great introduction, I believe by an author named Yamamoto, is somewhere between $400 and $600 online. So I, I, <laughs> I don't feel as bad about paying the money for this book now. Um, I also believe Ben Dykes translated at least portions of that in his book, um, An Introduction to Traditional Astrology by Abu Mushar and Al-Kabisi. So that might be another way to get this type of material uh, and make it more accessible. But as I was reading through this, so I wanted to show you another thing before we get into the forecast, because these are just... I really enjoy sharing my process here, and I hope that this is useful learning about what we're doing. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to put Leo on the horizon, and I, and I want to read to you Abu Mashar's, um, a little bit about what Abu Mashar was looking at here. And so here we go. He says, in the first face, or the first 10 degrees of Leo, he says, in, it is in this first face there arises the tail and a dog shooting a bow and a lion image and half of the ship and its sailors inside and the head of Hydra, i.e. a black water serpent and the head of a horse and a donkey's head. So it, it, all of those images may seem random when we're putting them all together and we're, if we don't understand the context of them in observation of the sky. And this is true for like a book like the Picatrix as well, which uses a lot of these decanic images for astrological magic purposes. And you, you first read that and you're like, wow, this is really random. I don't, I don't understand exactly what's going on here. But, that, but then we have this skeleton key, which is called the sky. And you can see here is the first Deccan, okay, at least in those ancient times of the, where we have the lion was rising. And here in this section of space, projected out from the ecliptic, here's the head of the hydra. This is the constellation hydra. And as it rises, you can see the ship rises with it because we have the Argo down here. Okay, you can see here's the ship that is rising along in the same Deccan. Um, so that's the, I believe that's the keel of the Argo that is rising. You can't see it very well here. Um, and we have, uh, I believe he talked about um, a dog shooting the bow. Here's our dog with Sirius, okay? And we have our head of the lion. Here we have a little lion here uh, in conjoining with uh, the actual constellation of the lion, um, Leo. So all of the stories are basically in the sky. And I think one thing to think about too, if you do get into constellation mythology, is that many different cultures can think of these constellations in different ways. One of the things I've been, one of the additional rabbit holes I've been going down is seeing how different cultures interpreted these stories. And I busted out a, a book of um, indigenous American myths as well and saw that, you know, a lot of these stories um, tend to repeat in different cultures. Then they may take on slightly different forms and different manifestations, but the essential nature is, is very similar. And this is one of the arguments that 
uh, is put forth in the book Hamlet's Mill that I've been reading that I learned about through Bernadette Brady's work um, is that really a lot of our cultural mythology is based on sky observation. And, you know, just like uh, they, they said in that Disney um, cartoon, or is that a Disney cartoon? Like, you know, it's like a five American tale, <laughs> like where they're like, got the little mouse like somewhere beneath the blue sky you know that kind of thing is, is they're all like looking at the same sky and this is some of the thing that really connects us over many cultures is that we all have these um beautiful sky stories that we're we are all sharing as a community and as a human um human community and that's really what connects us and, and i think that that really was something, a, a nice light bulb aha moment for me in even understanding the collective unconscious that Jung talks about um, when he's talking about his mythological stories that overlap in cultures that had no contact with one another. And he was like, well, how does this happen? Maybe we're just plugged in to this, like, uh, I don't know, like this internet basically of ideas. And we are, it's, it's called the sky. <laughs> like, so it's just, I, I'm laughing because of, of how, um, how simple it actually is, um, but how much of a skeleton key that it is for understanding our ourselves as human beings and of, of, of understanding our astrology in general as well. And I think if you're going to go down this path, um, it is important too to, to really understand how the ancients saw their sky when they were creating these myths as well, because the sky shifted a little bit due to precession. These these constellations were moving, different fixed stars were in slightly different positions due to the apparent wobble of the earth. So um, so I just want to keep sharing my process with that because I'm I'm really learning a lot and it's 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 giving me a lot of like really um, I'm really enjoying that process and would encourage you to, to do this as well because a lot of the ideas that that or connections that I've been making just wouldn't have been possible at all without looking at the sky and just kind of not just reading the book, not just um, taking someone's word for it, but doing my own study and doing my own observation and trying to connect all the pieces like that. That's, that's how you can really do something that has depth, I think, is um, don't just take everything at face value. Uh, do some of your own homework. Do some of your own observations. Let, let the stories uh, change you and start to see those connections. Okay, so let's move forward in our um, story here. So I just wanted to do that and show you the little, some little comet magic here and some a little bit of Deccan magic here and some of the understanding that that I have been kind of uncovering. So that'll help us when we are uncovering the the fixed stars that are um, that are rising with these particular signs too. Okay. Excuse me. Okay, let's go back to our chart. And here we are looking at the chart for the week. And we're seeing in the inner ring where the planets are starting out and at the outer ring where they're going to end up. So when we talk about our planetary condition for the week, we're going to start off with our sun, which begins at 27 degrees of Cancer, where it is uh, peregrine in the third decan, which means it, it, it is, does not have any essential dignity, so to speak. Um, it is in the terms of Saturn from 26 to 30 degrees. It will be co-present with Mercury in Cancer. It will be receiving an overcoming square from Mars and Aries. 
So that is a, a harming quality. Mars is harming the sun while it is still in Cancer, although we're going to get some relief from that when it moves into Leo. Uh, it is also still making an uh, opposition at the beginning of the week with a retrograde Jupiter, Saturn, and Pluto. Now, if we're going to talk about the rest of the outer planets here, it is, it is making a trine to Neptune um, and a sextile to Uranus in Taurus. So difficult, a little bit difficult uh, energy right now for the sun, where it is receiving that overcoming square um, from Mars, and it is receiving a lot of oppositions from those Capricorn planets. Now, this is going to be important when we break down our new moon because the new moon is still going to be in that last decade of Cancer. So all of this energy is going to be present probably throughout our, our lunar cycle. That is going to be the seed of all of this. And like I said, we may get some relief from that, but um, it's going to be part of our story that we're going to be playing out. Uh, the host of the sun this week is the moon, which is waxing from the new phase to the crescent phase. So we will be gaining in light. The host of the sun will be gaining in light. Now, when we move forward in the week, it will, the, the sun will end up at four degrees Leo and will transition to its own domicile of Leo on Wednesday, July the 22nd. So in the sign of Leo, which is the home of the sun, uh, it will also have triplicity dignity by the daytime. So we're gaining a lot of dignity for, for solar qualities as we move forward through the week. Um, it will be in the terms of Jupiter from zero to six degrees. So overall, the condition of the sun improves quite a bit because we're moving out of a malefic bound at the end of a sign. We're gaining domicile dignity and we're gaining triplicity dignity, which is sort of like having communal support. So it might be a lot easier for us to like state who we are, to take authority, uh, to command action as the sun moves into Leo. And we'll do a little bit more of a longer breakdown of Leo as we move forward into the dailies. Um, the sun, once it's in Leo, will be trining and receiving a trine from Mars. So the, the conversation between Mars and the sun becomes slightly more, or, or becomes more positive than with the square. So we may be able to take action that is more in alignment with who we are, with our knowledge, with our knowing, with our noose, right? Which was uh, gnosis, which was associated with the sun, which was our, our inner light, the light of our soul. So we may be able to take action based on um, that connection to our higher self, where it might have been a little bit more difficult to do that when the sun was in cancer and we were work, working through a little bit more of a reflected light, a little bit more of a dealing with the world of form when it was related with the moon instead of our spirit with the sun. Uh, the sun will also, once it moves into Leo, be receiving a sextile from Venus in Gemini. So that is a, an improvement too. Venus, one of the benefics, will now be able to give testimony to the sun rather than being in opposition. It'll be in a harmonious position because sextiles were of the nature of Venus. So we're getting some assistance now from Venus to the sun as it moves into Leo. Um, it will be the, the one challenging aspect that we do get with the sun and Leo is that we are receiving a um, square from Uranus to the sun. So there may be uh, some shakeups that happen, uh, some unexpected events that we may be experiencing as the sun progresses forward to perfect that square with Uranus. Now that won't happen this week, but it will be happening in the next couple weeks. So we can probably expect some 
some shakeups from that square, some unexpected events with the sun making contact with Uranus and probably most likely related to authority figures and to the king. The sun is the king in, um, in astrology, in ancient astrology, as is Jupiter, but we have kind of these, these dual qualities, uh, or dual kind of um, you know, universal signifiers, Jupiter and the sun being related to like uh, masculine authority figures or, or kingship. Um, so keep your eyes peeled for that as we move forward. Uh, the sun will be in its own domicile, so it is hosting itself right now. It's in its own temple. Um, there are some authors that talk about uh, a planet being able to rest or relax when it is in its own domicile as well. Um, and this was, had some associations with a planet um, stationing. Now, the sun doesn't station. So this, I don't know if this is necessarily true for the sun, but other planets, when they reach close to their station, their retrograde and forward stations is when they sometimes come to their own temple. So that's another little tidbit to think about. Okay, let's move forward to Saturn. Saturn is still retrograde in motion this week. It is in the third decade of Capricorn, which is its own temple. So again, I talked about the retrograde and the, the motion, and we see Saturn coming to one of its temples during that period of time. Um, Saturn is in the terms of Mars from 26 to 30 degrees. It will be hanging out at the 28th degree or so of Capricorn for, for most of the week, um, not moving a lot at all, moves very slow. Uh, and this is the opposite quality of the sun. This is, this is the darkness. This is the ignorance. This is the, the black hole, like Matt Kenny said which I really love that. If we, if we have the light that is shining, we have every, you know, Saturn is like the energy that is sucking all the light into it and where forms are leaving. If the sun is bringing vitality and helping things to manifest and grow into being much like the moon, uh, Saturn is the opposite. It is taking things out of existence. It is, it is kind of this, uh, uh, I don't know, it's a magnet, but for, for um, things leaving this plane of existence and potentially returning to the spiritual oneness so there i don't know in western culture that is a scary thing um if you are more of a jyotisha astrologer or in a vedic system that may be more desirable returning back to spirit uh it, it sometimes our cultural biases can can let us uh, lead us to judge something as as quote unquote good or bad but um i think it's worth saying that in ancient Greek culture, they had much of a less moralistic view of good and bad. I mean, we definitely had like preferences where there was experiences that we um, preferred over ones that we didn't. Like we prefer to have a nice uh, meal over like breaking our leg. But it wasn't as much of a moral judgment with benefic and malefic. Both are necessary. Um, we cannot have unchecked periods of growth, just like we can't just have death uh, reigning on the earth. It's a balance between the two and they, they are cyclical and they, they feed one another. So um, that is something to, to keep in mind when we're talking about these malefic influences because we have a lot of power um, with malefic influences right now. Um, death is very present on the physical plane right now and we have an awareness of it. And if we come to terms and accept that um, and balance it out with the things that we can uh, promote growth within. That's going to be one of the themes of our week is the balancing between vitality and contraction. Okay, so uh, Saturn will be conjoining 
retrograde Jupiter and retrograde Pluto in Capricorn, well, it'll be co-present. It, it won't make an exact conjunction with those planets, but it is hanging out in the same temple, or they are hanging out in its temple, drawing power from it. Uh, it will be making an overcoming square to Mars and Aries, which I think is important to talk about because in addition to that Sun-Pluto opposition we saw last week, we were really, I, I, could, I could describe those events in the context of Saturn and Mars as well. Um, because, you know, think about traditional astrology. They didn't have an awareness of Pluto until, you know, much later in the tradition here. And there was thousands of years where they had to explain events like this with just those traditional planets. So we can see, I would say, uh, an uprising right? Maybe the rebellion, if you want to think of it in Star Wars terms with Mars and Aries, where people are getting upset and they're taking action and protesting. And we, we had a little bit of an Empire Strikes Back moment where uh, Saturn is in the overcoming position. that They're in the position of power right now. And Saturn is trying to pour cold water on the heat of the Mars rebellion and trying to squash it and trying to contain it, trying to bring order, quote unquote, to it. And with Saturn being co-present with Pluto, um, there is some corruption that's being exposed. There is some nefarious tactics that are being used. Uh, and being co-present with Jupiter, there is a moral belief system that may not be connected to a higher self because Jupiter is in its fall. It's in a very earthy sign. But there may be a belief that, that, that whoever is doing this is, is doing it by any means necessary, right? They're, I think that more often than not, everybody believes that they are the hero of their own story. And even when we see this corruption and we see this, um, these blatant violations of human and civil rights being taken place in, in what we've considered a free country and events that we only really tend to uh, witness in um, countries that are experiencing dictatorships, uh, the people that are perpetrating these acts see themselves as heroes. And I think that that needs to be taken into account too. And um, I mean, even the people that have perpetrated some of the most heinous acts over the course of history, uh, they, most of them uh, believe they were the, you know, the victor of their own story or, or doing it for some kind of quote unquote, higher purpose, whether or not that was the case or not. Um, and a lot, in a lot of cases, it was very misguided and it was, you know, motivated by perhaps lower base needs or lower base instincts rather than higher purpose. Um, but, but never forget that, that people, people do believe this. And this may be true on, when we're having the dis discourses about what is right or what is not in our society too. Everybody believes that they're doing the right thing, quote unquote. And I, I do think it's rare where people say, where people actually think that they are the villain or embrace it. Um, I don't, I don't think it is, I don't think it doesn't exist. I think there are the very rare people out there that uh, know what they're doing is wrong and do it anyway. And that is probably the vilest of our human shadow. The, the vilest part of that, um, that's when the, the hubris is at its greatest, I think, and the, the fall will be the greatest afterwards is when you know something is wrong and you still do it. Um, 
but a lot of it could be ignorance too. So I think that that plays out with the story that we have, especially with Jupiter here too. Jupiter is, is going to still be retrograde. It is in its fall. It is in the house of Saturn. So instead of bringing abundance, instead of bringing growth, instead of bringing birth, it is only being provided the resources of death. So it is expanding contraction, death, black hole energy, if we're going to use Matthew Kenny's example, which I will, because I love it. It was very, it's, I love, love seeing other astrologers describe things because it gives me new nomenclature to kind of describe things with, because we tend to, to get in our own little patterns of uh, description. And it's always fun to see how, how other minds work. Um, so Jupiter will be in the terms of Venus from 14 to 22 degrees, co-present with Saturn and Pluto. It will also be making an overcoming square to Mars, and it'll be opposite the Sun and Mercury while uh, both of those planets are in Cancer, uh, making a trine to Uranus and Taurus and a sextile to Neptune in Pisces. Um, Jupiter's host is Saturn retrograde, where it is co-present, so I just discussed that. And moving on to Mars, Mars is in its own domicile in the second decade of Aries this week in the terms or the bounds of Mercury from 12 to 20 degrees, it will be squaring or receiving that overcoming square from Saturn, Jupiter, and Pluto. It will be creating its own overcoming square. Remember that overcoming square, whichever planet is in the superior position or earlier in zodiacal order, uh, will have the upper hand. So Mars has the upper hand right now over the Sun and Mercury, but it is feeling the weight of oppression from Saturn, Jupiter, and you know, if we want to include Pluto in there, we can, I guess. Um, so kind of a mixed bag for Mars and our energy right now. We may be um, you know, feeling like we are trying to assert our power over some part of our life, but receiving this kind of like, uh, I don't know, difficulty in acting uh, that is coming from a different part of our life. So it will also be making a sextile to Venus as, it, uh, as we go through the week. And then when um, the sun moves into Leo, Mars will be moving into an overcoming trine, which is a much more positive and productive relationship. Okay. Uh, again, we have another planet in its own domicile. So we have three planets in domicile this week, which is the uh, sun, Saturn, and Mars. Venus will be moving through the second and third decan of Gemini from 15 to 20 degrees. Um, it will be in its own bounds, uh, the, the terms of Venus from 12 to 17 degrees, and then moving into the terms of Mars from 17 to 24 degrees. So uh, Venus is going to lose a little bit of dignity as it moves forward. Um, the third decan of Gemini has some challenging stuff in it. That's where we need to make a choice where we've been weighing all the different dualities and the opposites. And finally, it's time for one of those choices to die so that the other can live like, like one of the twins, like, like Pollux giving up some of his immortality so that the mortal twin Castor could, could continue to live on. Um, so we'll, we'll break that down a little bit more as we get to that. Uh, Venus will be sextiling Mars, uh, making a square to Neptune in Pisces and sextiling the sun in Leo. Uh, Venus's host this week is Mercury in Cancer, to which it has an aversion relationship to right now. It is unable to see its host. So 
uh, difficult for Venus to receive the, the resources it needs to harmonize what it wants to harmonize, which is mercurial significations, communications, um, dualities, ambiguities. It's still difficult for us to reconcile all those because Venus can't see its host. And I don't, that but condition isn't going to change really until uh, Venus moves into the sign of Cancer. And I, I wonder if we get to that point, Mercury moves a little bit faster. So we may just see Venus chasing Mercury for a while. Okay, Mercury itself, excuse me, is gonna be moving through the first and second degree of Cancer, retracing its path, its, its shadow path that it, that it um, was traveling through when it was in its retrograde motion. So we're un, unpacking and unraveling and unknotting all of the things that we had to review when Mercury was going retrograde. Um, it'll move from eight degrees, where it is very close to the fixed star Alhina at about nine degrees Cancer, and ending up at 15 degrees Cancer this week, where it'll be conjoining um, first the fixed star Sirius at 14 degrees of Cancer, and then the fixed star Canopus, um, which is the, the dog star Sirius, um, and then the, uh, the navigator of the ship Argo, uh, Canopus is at 15 degrees. So um, moving from marching for a purpose and ending up in a quest for immortality and trying to navigate our way through um, some of the waters of the, of the unconscious and, and of the, the journey to find knowledge. Um, Venus also will be conjoining the fixed star Rigel. So we'll, we'll break that down. But that is also about the search for knowledge and being able to share what we've learned. Um, I, I have the, uh, I actually have Venus right on, right on Rigel when I was born at, at about 16 degrees when, when I was born. It has since moved and processed to about 17 degrees of Gemini, but I can really relate to this story because when I learn something, I want to immediately share it with people. And that is one of the, um, the significations that I kept coming across is the strong desire to want to share knowledge with, with the collective. Okay. So, uh, Mercury will be hosted by that waxing new moon uh, this week. And the moon, again, will be renewing itself in the fires of the furnace of the sun at the new moon, moving to that crescent phase where we'll be trying to mobilize resources for our new divine assignments. It'll be in its own domicile in Cancer, and it will have dignity by face in the third decan of Cancer. It will be peregrine in the sign of Leo. Uh, it will have triplicity dignity at the nighttime when it moves through Virgo. And then it will have dignity by face in the first decade of Libra. Okay, so that is what we have for the planetary condition report for the week. I'm just going to do one chart now, and I'm going to move forward to Monday, July the 20th, and we'll move our sun towards the ascendant here to see where we start out. Okay. And Monday is packed with astrology. Monday, we're going to start off with the moon in Cancer, and it will renew itself at about 1.32 Eastern Time, and it will move into Leo shortly after at 4.16 p.m. Um, we are seeing a trine from the moon to retrograde Neptune at very early hours at 20 degrees of Cancer and Pisces. The moon will then oppose retrograde Jupiter at 1.27 a.m. at 21 degrees, and then it will oppose retrograde Pluto at 5.04 a.m. at 23 degrees. 
at 1.54 p.m., shortly after the new moon, it will make an opposition to Saturn retrograde at 1.54 p.m. at 28 degrees. So it's moving through, the moon's going to be moving through a gauntlet of oppositions with all of those Capricorn planets. Um, so let's start to break down this new moon um, and the sun's opposition to Saturn. We'll talk about that collectively here because we, we really, that is part of our new moon story here is that that is really the biggest part of the story is the opposition to Saturn. So you can see roughly around 2 p.m. here, I guess let's go right back to the the exact time of it, so we can get all the all of it together. About 1:32 p.m. Okay, you can see there we go. There's our there's our new moon. Okay, and you can see here an ex pretty much an exact opposition. Okay, within 10 minutes of a degree to Saturn, it is also opposing Pluto and Jupiter by whole sign. So that's part of our our story. Oppositions are of the nature of Saturn. So this is something where we're going to be experiencing a, a limitation, a contraction, a black hole. Um, this is kind of like this new moon staring into the void. Like the third decan of cancer, uh, Austin Coppett called, uh, I believe he called it, um, what did he call it? Well, I know in the tarot, it's called luxury. And let me see, I have his book here. I'm drawing a blank on his name for it. Oh, the overflowing cup. Sorry. So we, one of the themes of this decan of cancer, we have the four of cups, which is its decanic um, correlation. And in it, we see a figure that has three cups set before him and the hand, a hand is emerging from a cloud, a divine hand is offering him one more cup, but he has his arms folded and is refusing that cup. And we can contrast this with the decans that these other three planets that it's opposing are moving through, which is the four of pentacles, where we see a, a, a person who is uh, possessing four pentacles or three pentacles and is holding on very tightly to that fourth pentacle, right? Uh, so it is kind of, we have a refusal of excess in the third decan of cancer and the covetous, covetousness of, of an hanging on to material form or attempting to in that uh, third decan of Capricorn. So really what we're, I think that what this new moon, if we're going to unpack this is about is how, what are we going to do with the, uh, the excess that we may have created through the Cancerian cycle, if there is any excess, because we're living through a period of, of contraction and of lack and of limit. Um, how are we going to reconcile our desire, okay, our, our awareness of maybe our abundance versus the scarcity that we may see with other people's experience? Now, one of the things that Austin talks about in his book is uh, the goddess Hecate associated with this Deccan. And Hecate was the, a goddess that gave great abundance, but also at a cost. It's like she gave something, but she required something in return. And she, uh, you know, was helping to forms to pass out of being as well as come into being. So um, again, we may have an awareness of our um, luxury 
and our ability to to have or receive and that being contrasted by seeing other people in our experience that do not have that um it speaks to like um this kind of quality i would say of realizing that that form at least on this plane is finite or that the energy to create form i wouldn't say that the energy to create form is finite that may actually be infinite but the ability to like have enough is not necessarily always supported on the physical plane it's like if you have a, a pie and somebody takes 90% of it, that only leaves 10% of the pie for somebody else. And that's the kind of awareness we have when we may be the recipients of the 90% of the pie or that awareness of lack when we are, you know, have only the 10% of the pie. Um, so these are the kind of themes we're going to be working out. Uh, we had a seed to this uh, Sun-Saturn opposition at the very beginning of the year, on January 13th at 22 degrees of Capricorn, right when all the Saturn, Pluto, and everything was conjoining, you can look back at that time and see what kind of, try to examine what was going on in your life to figure out what is coming to opposition at this point. What were you thinking about what, contracting? How is that working out now when you're maybe trying to deal with uh, questions of life and death? Uh, working within limitation, growth versus decay, uh, nurturing versus destruction. Um, what else do we have here? This also may be a, a new moon where you may have some expensive tastes. I know that for me with my, my little book fetish that I have here, I started out wanting three books and that ballooned into buying uh, many more than that. And that was kind of a, a, a moment where I was like, oh boy, I have to kind of consider what I'm doing here and like, and if I'm going too far with that kind of thing. Now, I, I do believe that if I'm going to invest in anything, knowledge is something I value very highly that has longevity to it. But, uh, but again, we are asking the question, what is too much? Or what is, uh, what do we really need? And if we have luxurious tastes, we, maybe we have to um, be able to work within a little bit less of a, um, an abundant type of experience. Now, think about seasonally what's going on, on in the Northern Hemisphere, at least around this time. We're at the height of summer. Things, you know, all of the vegetables are growing very well. Uh, we're, 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 have a great, um, we're able to have a great harvest. Um, and generally, it's a time of celebration, right? And, and you may have it more than enough, and you be able to have to decide what to give to your neighbors. And that may be something that we're called upon to do at this new moon cycle, is if we are some folks that have more than enough, is to share that with our neighbors. Like if, like if you have a, a garden right now that's doing very well, you may be called upon to, to give um, the the access to someone who may not have the ability to grow that food. Maybe they don't own property. Maybe they have been struggling with an illness in their family, and, and it's important for us to recognize our um, our people in need at this point. Um, yeah, I, I think that if you have planets in this zone, you have an acute awareness of this too. 
And I would say one other thing that crops up because I have an experience of this and, and I have some friends who have some placements like this too. And um, one of my own experiences is that uh, I have Mercury in this Deccan and Mercury is the ruler of my second house and my 11th house. And um, I often have existential crises about uh, making money because I feel like if I make money or if I do something, it is taking away energy or attention from somebody else. It's an acute awareness that I know that that might not always be true, but it's something that I've struggled with over time. And I have a, a, you know, a friend who has a placement like this who also has been very fortunate in, in their life, and, but does some very, good, um, some very good charitable work with the excesses that they've been fortunate enough to come across. So, and I know that they definitely struggle with that question as well. So I really think that that's part of the theme that we all are going to be experiencing as a collective is this kind of existential crisis about what to do with our resources and, and the um, questions of, of abundance versus scarcity. Okay, so let's look at see if there's any other things that are witnessing and giving testimony. Well, yes, there is. There is Mars that is giving testimony by whole sign, not as, as exact of a degree as the Saturn planets are, uh, especially Saturn, because that's very exact. Um, but we are seeing Mars as part of the conversation. And Mars is creating this overcoming square. So we may feel uh, that we want to take some action. We want to sever and separate and, and assert some kind of authority in the second decan of Aries. We might want to say, this is who I am and this is what I believe and this is what I'm going to do and this is how I am different from you. But we may be feeling some of the oppression and we may be feeling like we aren't able to take action based on our desires, our personal desires, because of the overcoming square of Saturn. And um, that's something we're just going to have to kind of come to terms with and feel like we're going to be able to work within. Um, I think part of this moon cycle will be about the transition from life and abundance potentially to scarcity. I think by the end of this moon cycle, we are all going to be asking ourselves questions of um, resources. I think that with um, the potential for further uh, backtracking on shutdowns and more limitations that we may be having to live within, potential disruptions to some of our resource supply chains. I think that that's, that's very possible uh, of a manifestation of this lunar cycle. Now, I will say, and this is something that I'm, I still have to meditate on, but by the time we get to our full moon, our full moon is actually going to happen in Aquarius and Leo. So I do think we are going to get some kind of relief. We've got this full moon here over the Leo Aquarius axis, but before the moon gets full, the moon's got to pass through this Capricorn gauntlet here. Um, so I, 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 I have some hope that this will help alleviate some of the pressure. Um, and also this new moon, the first aspect that this new moon makes is actually uh, when it escapes the bond, when it, it comes outside of 15 degrees of its bond with the sun, it does make a sextile to Venus. So uh, there is some hope within this that we are going to receive some kind of help and be able to balance some of the dualities that we experience. 
And I will offer this too, with, with some of the heavy astrology that we're experiencing through the, the summer, is that as we see, and we'll look to myth to, to help us with this, as we see Pandora's box basically unleashed upon the earth and all these uh, horrors, you know, death, disease, decay, oppression, um, you know, despair, uh, arguing, anger, war, <laughs> like um, all of those things that were released from Pandora's box. Um, and remember, Pan uh, is associated with Saturn and with the goat, the goat horned one. So we could see all these Capricorn uh, stack ups related to Pan and Pandora's box. Um, the one thing that was left in the box, the one little silver lining was hope. And I think that that's the important thing that we have to really move through and, and hold on to throughout all of this is, is our unique, I think, human ability. Uh, and I, I can't say this for sure because I've never been a different animal as far as I know, uh, but our ability to have hope and to envision a better future. And it is, if we don't um, hold on to that hope, it'll be very, very, very easy to, to get really lost in all of the, the spinnings of the world. And that hope is something that comes from our higher selves. That, that hope comes from our spirit. That hope comes from our, our, our gnosis, right? And I think that a lot of what we're experiencing now is the, the ups and downs of the, the wheel of fortune, okay? Where we're, we may be at the bottom of the wheel right now. We're not really at the top of the wheel. We're experiencing the fallout, especially as in America, as a country where we're coming up on a Pluto return and we're coming up on having to deal with um, some of the things that we've repressed as a nation that, that aren't necessarily pleasant and, and we're having a reckoning. We're having to reckon with those things and hopefully heal them eventually. And we heal them through awareness. We heal them through shining light on the dark. And we heal them through our continual, continual discipline towards hope. And I really want to stress that this week because it's very, um, I think it can be really easy in times like this to lose faith and to lose hope and to start to surrender to the despair. And that, and that, is, um, that is something that I would encourage you to, to resist. I think it's okay to feel uh, pain. I think it's okay to mourn the loss of some of these things and to feel the discomfort that happens. We don't want to have blind faith. We don't want to have blind hope. We don't want to try to recapture some kind of uh, ephemeral lost glory that may have never existed in the first place, but may have only existed in our illusions. But I do think it is important to, to um, keep in mind that uh, we can, as a community, uh, bring about better times and be the change that we want to see and be the catalyst for moving back towards the light eventually that we will be required to do once this uh, composting period has run its course. And that's really what it, this is right now. This is the last gasp of power structures that have outlived their usefulness on a society. And this is uh, people doubling down on uh, the power that they feel slipping through their fingers. And again, it's always darkest before the dawn. Um, doesn't mean we don't do the hard work. It just means that um, we kind of have to go through this process to create the fertile soil to plant the new seeds that we want to create. And this is a cycle. It's a cycle. It's not just this linear thing. This is something that has happened over and over and over again over the course of human history and of, 
of you know celestial earth-based history is we have the rising of certain empires we have the rising of certain cultural um, shared values and then sometimes those shared cultural values uh, get corrupted by different power structures and then they start to decay and then they start to fall and then something new rises in its place it is it is a continual cycle that we are a part of we just happen to be um, in the middle of a very intense part of the river uh, in that cycle and it's amazing to me actually to think about as a 40 year old person how calm it actually may have been uh, during the beginning part of my life yes some of these things were um, hidden beneath the surface and not as widely acknowledged but as a, in general, it was a, a fairly period of, of fair, fairly peacefulness. Not to say that it was fair, it was just fairly peaceful. Uh, and again, this is from my male, white, cisgendered perspective that I know is not true for everyone. So I 100% acknowledge that. And, uh, but I do think that we are seeing a heightened period of, of decay that we did not experience, at the, that I didn't experience at the beginning of my life. So uh, interesting times that we're living through. Okay, so the full moon happens at about the 3rd of August at 11 degrees of Leo and Aquarius. So this may be where we are thinking about what, um, how we are going to create identity and what we're going to leave behind. In the tarot, we have the Six of Wands, with a, which was called Victory, where we are having the people who are returning back from, from war victorious. And then in the Six of Swords, we see figures that are leaving something behind and going across the River Styx. So this may be about what parts of our culture, what parts of our society are worth hanging on to, are worth preserving, and which ones just need to be, which, which rivers do we need to cross into a new existence because the, the old was no longer serving everybody in the most equitable and fair way. And I really think that that will come to a head as we see who is being selected, the sun, and who is in, in, in the, um, who is exiled, which is part of the themes of Saturn also. We're going to get a real big awareness of the haves and the have-nots, I think, with this lunar cycle as well. Okay, I think that's what I've got for the new moon on Monday. Uh, Let's move forward to Tuesday. I'm going to get rid of my little drawings here. And on Tuesday, on Tuesday, July the 21st, the moon will be in Leo. We will be working through a new moon phase. Um, the moon will be squared with Uranus at 10.22 p.m., so potentially some kind of shocking or sh shake-up event that happens after our new moon. Uh, it will also trine Mars at 13 degrees of Aries at 3.22 p.m. Uh, the moon will escape the bond at 14 degrees of Leo. So I'll show you what that looks like. So here's what happens when the moon escapes the bond. Okay, it's, it's at a 15 degree of separation. And the first aspect that it makes it, it is just separated from Mars, so it's not really making that aspect to Mars. It's going to be, it's first applying aspect is going to be the sextile to Venus. So that gives me, that's where it gives me a little bit of hope that we may be able to 
have something positive come through from this new moon cycle because we are going to be working on uh we're getting some help from venus this new moon cycle and venus is on rigel which is a very uh i would say a very hopeful fixed star where we might be really educating ourselves and each other on what we need to create harmony between very disparate uh experiences and value systems so I do think that that is a, a, a that is the 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 hope and the silver lining that I would offer for this new moon cycle. Now Mars is going to be very close to the fixed star Alderamin at 12 degrees and into 13 degrees of Aries, which was part of the constellation Cepheus, which was the king. Okay, so let's take a look at that real quick. Um, see if I can get back to my star maps here and i believe i talked about this a little bit last week but cepheus the king was part of a family of constellations that we can see in the very i would say i guess you could call it the northern regions okay very close to the pole star we could see this here playing out here's cepheus the king he's upside down but you get the idea here is Andromeda, the princess. Uh, we have, oops, I'm sorry, this is actually, sorry, this right here is Cassiopeia, the queen. And Andromeda is right here. She's chained up to a rock. And we have Perseus holding the head of Medusa, trying to free her from being consumed by the, uh, the kraken or the, the sea monster. Um, also, which interestingly enough, uh, this constellation also, uh, if we, let's say we go forward in time a little bit, um, has some overlap with Pegasus. I'm trying to find where it overlaps, but this used to be, there's Pegasus right there, okay? So the fixed star Alpharets, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, was the navel of Pegasus, okay, which here we go. I believe there's Alpharets, okay. And in Alderamin, we have this over here in Cepheus the King, okay. So as we move through our week, Mars is going to conjoin through ecliptical degree, Alderamin at 12 degrees, where it's asking us to exert balanced masculine energy, but that is in harmony with the feminine. This is one of the themes that Brady talks about, the balance of masculine and feminine energy, gentle power, you know, being able to fight for a noble cause, but in a, in a focused but dignified way. So this may be one of the things that I would uh, say that it will be part of our narrative, our, our new moon also, is how can we assert our authority in a gentle, balanced way that takes into account our, our masculine sides and our feminine sides? So that is going to be part of what is going to be playing out as we move forward through the lunar cycle. Now, when we get to Tuesday here, we're going to start to see Mercury conjoining the fixed star Alhina. Okay. Let's see. I'm, I'm not even in the right day here, but you can see if I go forward to the 21st of July. and we can now see at the ecliptic, the sun is close 
the sun is in the constellation of cancer but in the uh getting very close to the sign of leo remember we had a separation between the visible constellations and the uh 360 30 degree divisions of the tropical zodiac which is actually based on the solstices and the equinoxes so they're not in alignment due to precession they were many thousands of years ago but they are not anymore so we have to kind of balance out which of these fixed stars and which of these stories are playing out within these sections of space visibly and the qualities of the interplay of light and dark that we see with the where the sun is at in the particular um, point and some of the, the themes with that as well. So if I look for Mercury, I know Mercury is going to be around here somewhere because Alhina is over here in the foot. There it is. There's Alhina. So Mercury's, I'm going to guess right there. Yep, there's Mercury. So look at what happens when you get to uh, understand the sky a little bit better as you can find these things without really knowing exactly where they are. So Alhina is the foot of, um, I believe this is the foot of Pollux, the mortal twin. And one of the things that I've been coming across in my research is that whenever a constellation or a god, that when ancient cultures thought of a god in a, in a constellation, whenever it was its foot was touching the earth, that was an important omen. Uh, it was also a, uh, a, a, a position of protection to be under the foot of a deity. And we'll see this with Rigel too, because Rigel is in the foot of Orion. Um, so it's kind of like you were under the Pharaoh's protection. I guess this was from the Egyptian system as well, as if you were under the foot of the Pharaoh, you're under their protection. Um, also though, when a, when a deity touches the earth or touches the, I guess, the ecliptic here, uh, that is like the deity sustains a wound. So there's dual qualities of being protected by that deity, but that deity also sustaining some kind of mortal wound. And we see a lot of myth, myths that talk about uh, a deity being immortal except for the, the heel, okay? Like we see that in like Achilles and where they forgot to dip the heel in the, the immortal waters. Um, and that theme repeats, okay? So this is a point of vulnerability. Um, but this may be a, a, a point um, on Tuesday where we are seeing repetitions of like some kind of cause that we are marching for um, since it was associated with the heel. This was the proudly marching one. This fixed star was called. Uh, the last time this happened, we had a, you know, an announcement from the Supreme Court uh, with female reproductive rights when Mercury is moving across the fixed star Merzims, the announcer, which is down here. Okay, in, in the paw of the dog. Okay, there's Mirzim. And it is in alignment with that ecliptical degree. So keep an eye out for that. Keep an eye out for more, um, more protests, more di divine causes that feel like that, that you're are worth getting involved in. Remember that we're going to be asked to use our power in a balanced way. Uh, one interesting manifestation of this, as I recently saw just circulating on social media, um, some photographs out of Portland where uh, a woman who goes by the moniker Athena, uh, the, the warrior goddess, right, the goddess of wisdom, was um, confronting a, a line of police officers um, completely naked and was kind of, you know, holding her ground and 
uh, this was sort of this um, very, oh, how would I describe it? I don't know. It was feminine power. It was an expression of, fem of the feminine, the sacred feminine, holding off this like maybe toxic masculinity of like old power structures. It was, it was a very powerful set of images. And it's just interesting to me how some of that is just literally playing out in front of our eyes. And remember, I said with that comet that we were experiencing, Neowise, we were starting off in, in a constellation associated with masculinity and potentially maybe you know excessive masculinity and moving to a constellation associated with feminine power. So that may be a part of what we're experiencing here too. Okay, let's move back to our chart and we'll move forward to Wednesday, the 22nd. Now on Wednesday, July, hold on a second, I'm gonna go forward here. On Wednesday, July the 22nd, um, the sun is going to switch signs into the temple of the lion or Leo. So we start off with the moon in Leo, and it, which it stays in until it moves to Virgo at 7.39 p.m. Uh, we're still in the new moon phase. The sun will move into the temple of Leo at 4.36 a.m. And this, this sign is the domicile of the sun. This is it. The sun is returning to its own temple. Um, back in uh, very ancient Mesopotamian and Babylonian times, um, before procession separated out these zodiacs, uh, the fixed signs marked out the solstices and the equinoxes. So here, I want to show you this real quick. And I know we'll be here all day, but this is too much fun for me. <laughs> like, so if we go back, let's say we go back to 15,000. I feel like a time traveler with this program. It's really incredible. Really incredible what it allows you to do. At 15,000 BC, E, before Common Era. Well, let's go back to 11,000. Let's see if that is far enough back in time for this to work. Okay, at around this time, if we look at the solstice, okay, where the sun was the highest in the sky, we could see that this is going to happen in the sign of Leo. I'm going to go back even further here, 15 C. Okay, and I'm going to go. Okay, we'll go backwards in time. We're seeing this happen where the sun is at its highest point, right? Over the, over the ecliptic. It's gonna happen in the sign of Leo, in the constellation of Leo, okay? So that is something to, to keep in mind is that we will actually see it line up um, well, it's not cooperating at the moment, okay? Um, maybe I went too far back in time. Let's try 3000 BCE. There it is, okay, good. So this is like our solstice point, right? This is our solstice point where we're seeing kind of the height of the, of the sun, okay? And it is at its highest point right here where it is 
you know, in the sign of Leo, it is marking off, it is very, very close to the fixed star Regulus. So this is one of the points that was holding kind of the tent poles of the sky together. And if we went back in time to our, uh, our spring equinox around this period of time, okay, you'll be able to see that it'll happen in the sign of the bull, okay, which is the other fixed sign. So there's the spring equinox in the sign of the bull, which is associated with that fixed star Aldebaran, one of the royal watchers. We have those four royal watchers. If we went forward to the fall equinox, we're going to see it happen in the sign of the scorpion or the constellation of the scorpion, which is the other fixed sign, okay, and associated with Antares, the watcher of the west. And then if we go to our, some, our winter solstice, where the sun is at its lowest point, we're going to see it happen in the constellation Aquarius, pouring into the mouth of the fish Fomalhaut, which is one of the uh, the final fixed stars that is one of the royal watchers, okay? So very, very cool to be able to, to travel through time and see literally how we got some of the justifications or rationales for why these particular stars had the meaning that they did. And I would say also this could contribute, sorry, we got a thunderstorm going off in the background here. Zeus, Zeus is, is with us today. Oh, great Zeus, give us your, give us your knowledge. <laughs> he was the god of thunder, right? Um, I did start this in the hour of Jupiter, so you, we have that as a signification. Um, but we could see that potentially at this solstice point, okay, we, we have the sun having a lot of power when it is in the sign of Leo. It's at its height, right? So this was the point where the sun was at its very highest point at that constellation of Leo before precession separated those two things out and we started to get the solstices in the, in the uh, zodiacal, tropical zodiacal uh, sign of cancer, okay? So this is uh, something where we have a very royal nature. We were thinking about the heights of our um, spirit. Um, this is something where we, if we look at the... Uh, I hope I don't lose power here. Um, if we look at the height, <laughs> it's really getting nasty out there. It's been very, very hot. Uh, if we look at the tarot card associated, we've got the five of wands where there's this struggle between five youths for dominance. Okay, this, this competition for identity, for authority, to be the king of the hill, so to speak. So we're, we're looking for, and uh, we're struggling for art to, to to process our identity and to like establish ourselves in this first decan of Leo. Okay, this is a Saturn ruled decan according to the descending trip, uh, the descending Chaldean order. So Asakabak talks about this as, as being associated with masks, with actors. Remember, Saturn was uh, a planet of feigned appearances. So we may be trying on many different personas as we try to figure out who we are going to be and what our authentic self is when we're moving through that first decan of Leo. Okay, so we're balancing out solar light with like the ignorance of who we actually are. So it's a, it's a decan of discovery. We're trying to, to balance out uh, our souls and our spirits and this confusion, Saturn, over who and what we are. And sometimes it takes work to, to figure that out. Um, the Egyptians associated... Um, Leo with Sekhmet, the lion-headed goddess. 
So that's kind of neat. Uh, again, this is a fixed fire sign. So we have it fixed because it is one of the points that held the sky together in ancient times. It is one of the tent poles of the sky, okay? The, the, the solstice being one of them, okay? Um, in Greek mythology, we have the story of, of Hercules and, the, and one of his 12 labors where he has to go and defeat the Nemean lion. Uh, so this is kind of about uh, taming a vital force Leo was a, a, a feral, bestial sign. So this may talk also about getting in touch with our instinctual selves and maybe trying to, to tame uh, some of our more base instincts and try to, our full moon may speak to that too because we have Aquarius being a very humane sign. And Leo has a, a, a desire to dominate, okay? A desire to exert dominance and to be the king and to be the one that has the power. I can attest to this as a Leo ascendant. I, I, I struggle with this in my own psyche uh, of a, a desire to assert dominance. And I, I always have to watch myself with that. And, and like the sun, sometimes we tend to want to shine really bright. And that sun, those sun's beams, it can block out all the other stuff. And that this is like true when I'm having conversation with people. I have to... Um, Remind myself to leave space. Remind myself to, to listen and things of that nature because it's so easy for just the, that solar light to flow through you and block everything out. And, and again, that can be a flaw that we have to work through if we have some Leo-type placements. And as we move forward from the new moon and the sun moving through Leo, and it will, we will see the moon come to Aquarius, which is a humane sign where we're trying to figure out how we are dealing in a society. How do we assert dominance and selection versus how do we use that energy throughout uh, and make agreements where we can all have more equal representation? Because in a, in a democracy, which is a little bit more of, I would say, an Aquarian ideal, you know, we have multiple voices. We don't have one selected voice. Woo! <laughs> See? Zeus liked that. <laughs> or maybe he didn't because he's the king. And he's a little bit, uh, he's, he's like, no, I'm the king, you know. Um, whew, I think my hair started to stand up from that one. We got a lightning strike pretty close to home here. And my, the, the hair on my legs are standing up <laughs> from the electricity from that. Uh, so these are some of, some of the themes we may be working through as we move through the different decans of Leo. We're fighting for building an, an, an identity. Um, in the second decan, we have established that and we have the support of our community and the victory of, of maybe establishing who we are and our integrity. And then in the third decan, we are trying to figure out how to defend who we are. That's a Mars-ruled decan. So we move from Saturn-ruled to, I believe, Jupiter-ruled and then to a Mars ruled Deccan, where we're defending who we are and having to say, well, well this is who I am. And now, uh, if you don't like it, <laughs> like, you know, love it or leave it type of thing. Um, so that's what we've got with the, with the sun moving into the first Deccan of Leo. Uh, Mercury will be moving into the second Deccan of Cancer on this day. Let, now let's go back to 2020. <laughs> like, let's go back to uh, Common Era. Okay, and we're, we're going to see now that the sun is moving into that, moving through, okay, on our particular day here, 
you can see right here, there's our new moon, where the moon is actually almost, it isn't eclipsing, but it is in conjunction with the sun, okay? And this grid line tells us that we're starting the, the 30 degree section that we call Leo, but actually is visible as the constellation Cancer because of precession. So we're moving through that first decan, okay? We are seeing some correlations with some of the fixed stars in that particular decan. As we move forward on the 22nd, uh, we will see Mercury moving into the second decan of Cancer, which is over here, and conjoining with uh, some of those fixed stars we talked about, Sirius and Canopus, which is all the way down here in the, the keel of the ship, okay? So Mercury in the second decan Cancer, between 10 and 20 degrees Cancer, and we'll go, we'll go back for a second, we'll see our chart, and we can see that Mercury's moved into that second decan, if we want to know what we're looking at chart-wise. Um, this may be where we are getting in touch with some of those themes of our quests of immortality. We may have a desire to learn uh, very intensely. Um, I can feel this coming for myself. I, I have a stack of books that I know I'm, I'm chasing some uh, immortal mysteries right now, some sky mysteries, and trying to connect all the pieces. And sometimes I forget to go to bed on time. Like I did stay up way later than I anticipated last night um, reading and discussing some of these concepts with, with folks and like, you know, reading about uh, the decans and things like that. And it is a thing with Sirius where you can chase immortality uh, at the expense of the physical body. So as we move forward with Mercury through that second decan of Cancer, this may be what we're part of our experience, and when we're we're trying to explore unknown regions with Canopus being the navigator of this great ship, okay, and we may have a, a certain way that we want to want things to go too. That was the other. That was part of the downfall of Canopus was that he uh, was very stubborn about how he wanted things to go, and uh, you know it can be a little bit um, autocratic about. His directions. So one interesting aside is that Canopus uh, made a, a stop at the, um, the shores of Egypt and was bitten by a poisonous snake and that's how he died. So like, try not to get uh, distracted by uh, an oasis or there may be some snakes in your life that will, <laughs> will end it. So just be careful with that. Um, on Wednesday the 22nd as well, Mercury is going to be making a sextile to Uranus and Taurus at 10 degrees at 425 p.m. And this is a repeat of, of the uh, aspect we had a few weeks ago when these two planets uh, were aspecting one another. And we saw the um, announcement from the Supreme Court about um, preserving women's reproductive rights. And of course, uh, Uranus is on a, a fixed star. I don't, I don't remember the exact name of it, but it is a fixed star that is uh, associated with female power and female sovereignty. So um, we may see themes uh, like that come up again, similar to the aspect that we had on the 30th of June. Okay. Um, okay. Let's move forward to Thursday, July the 23rd. 
we're continuing our new moon phase. We are experiencing a Virgo moon where the moon and Virgo gain some dignity by triplicity. So we may have some more communal support for bringing things into form. The moon's going to make a trine to Uranus at 1.16 p.m. at 10 degrees of Virgo and Taurus. Uh, it will then sextile Mercury at 11 degrees of Cancer. And one of the things we're going to be experiencing Wednesday and Thursday is Venus conjoining the fixed star Rigel at about 17 degrees of Gemini. So in addition to that, we'll have Mars on the fixed star Alpharet. So we have two, two planets simultaneously conjoining um, some fairly important fixed stars, Rigel being probably brighter and having more um, astrological significance, but we'll break down Mars conjoining Alpharets as well. Uh, so let's go back to our sky chart and look at what we're uh, looking at. Now remember, as I've dug further on my journey with fixed stars, the ancients considered the sphere of the fixed stars as having more power than actually the planetary spheres themselves. They were outside of the jurisdiction of those planetary spheres and were informing what was happening with these planets. They were of the divine motion, the motion of the sun, where these planetary secondary motions, you know, where that was, a, that, there's a reason why we have the movement of the sun called primary and the movement of the planets as secondary. So these fixed stars were very, very important in, in ancient astrology. And we've really lost touch with them and their meaning to, to all of our great detriment. Okay, so let's see what we've got here with Rigel. And we're going to go over to the constellation Orion. And here we see it's, very, it's one of the easiest ones to see in the sky. If I zoom out and we see like the, actually zoom in, because I want to see if we can just see it. If I turn off some of the uh, the constellation lines for a second, then you'll get a visual, okay, on what it actually looks like. I'm gonna get rid of the stick figures for a minute if I can. Well, there we go. So you can see we've got Saif. Uh, down here, Rigel down here. And it's very easy to see this because we've got these three stars in the belt, okay? We've got a very red star in the shoulder, beetle, Betelgeuse or Betelgeist, I don't know how to say it exactly. Um, and then we have uh, another important fixed star, Bellatrix in the shoulder. So if we add those illustrations back in, it's like th this is one that's pretty easy to identify. It's huge, um, it's got a really recognizable pattern this was God in the Egyptian system. This was a very important uh, deity. And Rigel, where we have Venus hanging out um, on the 22nd. Let's see if we can find Venus. Okay, Venus is going to be, of course, close to the ecliptic. So we have to go back up here. Here's Venus. And Venus is going to project down to match up with Rigel. See that? So that's what we're doing. We're projecting the ecliptic down to the portion of the sky. And you can see here, and if you, and I'm going to try to narrate as best as I can if you're just listening on the audio, we've got the, it is the foot of Orion, the great hunter who was fighting the bull. And his foot is in that, in this whirlpool or this great river, the Eurydontes. Okay, you can see how it traces all the way through the sky. 
And this was uh, about going on a great journey, a journey of wisdom, right? Journey of the unconscious. And opposing, and I'm not going to show you this exactly because I don't want to mess up our orientation here, but almost directly opposite Orion is the constellation Hercules. And we talked about Hercules as being a little bit more of the taming of the wild nature. Orion is that raw, masculine, instinctual hunter power. Hercules is talking more about um, being able to be in control of that power. So we have a journey where Orion is going on a journey down the river of experience and potentially changing from this raw instinctual power to one that is more of refinement. It is a journey. And Rigel is part of this. Rigel is a, uh, and I explained earlier that we were under the, the Pharaoh's foot or under the foot of the God. They thought of the Pharaoh as uh, a manifestation of the God. So we were um, with Rigel, you had the protection of a God. Um, and this is connected with an educator, a scholar, a desire to learn or to teach or to bring knowledge to others. And with Venus, we may see some harmonizing attempts with the, our educational system. Okay, um, This is the first step towards wisdom. This is, I would say, we could see this as a reflection of the fool card in tarot, where we're stepping off of the cliff into the unknown as this journey from naivete into wisdom. Um, and this is, this is something where I would say that uh, we've been seeing a lot of uh, questions about should we return um, children back to school? How are we going to uh, send our kids back in a safe way? Or should we at all? How do we educate in a way that's fair? I would say in, in the middle of this week, those conversations are going to get much louder and we're going to try, Venus will be attempting to harmonize these questions of how do we educate? How do we disseminate knowledge? What is the best way to, to bring together dueling opinions and desires, which we see uh, as being part of the Gemini story that we're working through as well with the tropical Gemini being the part of our story. Okay. So, that's how I see things playing out with Venus conjoining Rigel. Um, again, I have this position in my chart. I have, I have Venus at 16 degrees of Gemini back in, back in the early 80s. This is where that, it, that is where that fixed star was, and it is now processed to 17 degrees. Um, and having this fixed star in the 11th house, I find myself in front of groups, learning, having a deep, deep desire to learn, but then not just to learn for myself, but to share that knowledge with the public. And I've, I've taught a lot of classes over the course of my time and, and doing this here now too, is sharing what I learned with the masses. And it's, like I said, it is, it is a very uh, core part of my being. So it may be something that you experience in your life too, is a deep desire to learn something and try to reconcile opposing viewpoints, but teach that to others as well with rival. It's a, it's a very fortunate fixed star, I would say. It is something uh, that hope that we were talking about at the beginning of the week, I think can be manifested in the hopefulness that comes from learning how to tame our more uh, raw instinctual natures and move towards a more humane uh, expression of that. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Now, Mars is going to be conjoining the fixed star alpharets at 14 degrees of 
Aries. And we can see that we're going to go over to the constellation Pisces, because remember, we're not in alignment. Okay, we have the, the constellation in the tropical zodiac that is associated with Aries. And then here is Alpharetz, uh, which is in the constellation Andromeda. Okay, is that it? Nope, it's here. There it is. Okay, so you see we have the constellation Andromeda. Uh, so we have some dueling uh, significations with this particular fixed star. There's some differing opinions, and it's all dependent on whether you consider this fixed star part of the constellation Andromeda with this kind of damsel in distress type of energy chained up uh, to the rock needing to be rescued, um, a desire to be rescued, um, or whether we consider it part of Pegasus or the navel of Pegasus. It is both. And this is Pegasus here. And we can associate Pegasus with speed, with freedom, a love of movement, with risk-taking, with a reckless daredevil type of energy. So with Mars on this fixed star, um, I could see it playing out like this. Maybe we take some actions that are a little bit rash, that we need to keep uh, a little bit of uh, our heads about, that may put us in situations where we need some help. So I would say be, be careful about um, doing anything too reckless, or you may find yourself in this position of helplessness where you're needing uh, to be heroically rescued. So keep that in mind as we move through the middle, middle of the week with those, with those fixed stars being activated, okay? All right, let's move on. And, and on Thursday the 23rd, uh, we can see that uh, we already talked about Thursday. We did, we did the moon trine Uranus and the moon sextile Mercury. So let's move forward to Friday, July the 24th. So on Friday, July the 24th, the moon is in Virgo and moving into the sign of Libra at 9.53 p.m., moving into its crescent phase. So at, over the course of the day, we'll be mostly having a, a Virgo moon day, but ending up in a, in a Libra moon. Uh, the moon is going to square uh, Venus at 1.45 a.m. at 17 degrees of Virgo and uh, Gemini. So we may be uh, really trying to figure out how to implement some of our desires to educate ourselves and what are the practical facts that we need to learn and maybe organize our thoughts a little bit with this square. Uh, the moon will make an opposition to retrograde Neptune at 6.22 a.m. at 20 degrees. It will then trine retrograde Jupiter at 21 degrees of Capricorn at 6.56 a.m. Uh, and then make a series of trines throughout for the Capricorn planets. It will trine retrograde Pluto at 11.05 a.m., uh, retrograde Saturn at 7.07 p.m. and then finally move into the sign of Libra at 9.53 p.m. So mostly harmonious aspects. The beginning of the day is a little bit stickier where we're trying to get organized and we may have some confusion with the opposition to Neptune, but then we may start to really get down to, to business and get practical with these trines to Jupiter, Pluto, and Saturn. The, the, I would say with the trines, we may have some, uh, some contraction and we may need to get rid of some things and make some choices, but we, we may experience that as a positive thing on Friday. We may be willing to let go of some things, and that will help us to feel like we're able to move forward with some of the things that we want to do. Okay, let's go forward to Saturday, July the 25th. And we are still in a Libra moon phase, in the crescent phase. 
the sun will be making a sextile to the moon at two degrees of Libra and uh, Leo. So the, the, we do have some harmony between the lights early on in the day. The moon will then make a square to Mercury at 13 degrees of Cancer at 9.11 p.m. And then it will oppose Mars at 15 degrees of Libra and Aries very late in the day at 11.49 p.m. Okay, so this is where we are going to have uh, the beginning of the day maybe more harmonious, but as we move forward to the evening hours, we may have some conversations where we need to find some balance. Um, we may be trying to pursue something that, that brings us into conflict with maybe some of our integrity, and we may get a little bit agitated because we want to do something with Mars and Aries, but we have to consider someone else's viewpoint or opinion with the moon moving through Libra. Now, on this day, the moon will conjoin the fixed star, I'm sorry, Mercury will conjoin the fixed star Sirius at 14 degrees of Cancer. And we talked about that as the quest for immortality. Um, Mercury, you know, go, acting as a psychopomp, going into the underworld and bringing back something of value, escorting souls to and from the underworld. Uh, this is something where our immortal ideas are going to potentially be at the ex expense of the body. So just be careful not to be pursuing your um, whatever it is that has ignited your passion to the point of physical exhaustion, because that could uh, affect your relationships. It could you know, make it so that you're uh, coming into contact with maybe an injury, an illness. Uh, this, is, this is a warning not to push yourself too hard uh, on, over the weekend. All right. On Sunday, the 26th, uh, the moon, we are ending up with a moon in Libra, crescent phase. The moon will make a trine to Venus at 6.44 a.m. Uh, at 19 degrees of Libra and Gemini. The moon will be squaring Jupiter retrograde at 8.41 a.m. of 20 degrees Libra and Capricorn. And then we're going to move through all the, all the trines that we experienced when the moon was in Virgo. We're now going to experience those as squares. So we may have something that we were letting go of that was positive, but now we're being asked to let go of something potentially related to a relationship that is going to cause friction. Squares are of the nature of Mars. So the moon's going through that gauntlet. It's going to square Jupiter. It's going to square Pluto. And it's going to square Saturn all in succession. So we may you know, have some differing beliefs. It may bring up something from the underworld that we have to deal with, some corrupted part of ourselves that we had repressed, uh, potentially because of a disagreement in our values. And then we have to deal with the fallout of it. We may get frozen out in an argument, or we may have to release into that black hole something that is no longer serving us. Remember, Cancer and Capricorn were said to be gateways. If we really did want to think of portals, and that is an overused word in like New Age astrology, but, but these really were considered gates of energy coming in and energy going out, the Cancer portal. Uh, this is something that I'm getting more information about in Liz Hazel's book about fixed stars. She describes the Cancer gate as the last five degrees of Gemini leading up to the first degrees of Cancer and the portal of Capricorn or the gate of Capricorn being the final degrees of Sagittarius leading up to the first degrees of Capricorn. So this is where the sun is making its transition to either its height to, to come into being, right, into its power at the solstice or is about to prepare for the, the return of the light, right, with the winter solstice, but it's, it's at a period that is very 
week, right? It's at its lowest point. So uh, they, they were saying that things were coming into being at this area over here and passing out of being over here. And again, newer, newer understanding research about it. So I'm still in process with that. So if it's not completely a formulated thought, please forgive me. Um, so Sunday, maybe a little bit of a difficult day that requires some negotiation and compromise. Uh, Venus will be moving into the third decan of Gemini. So this actually works very well with the symbolism of the third decan of Gemini, which we can see in the card, the Ten of Swords. Now, throughout the course of Gemini, in the Ten of Swords, we see a figure that's like got a bunch of swords in his back. He's, this is called Ruin. Austin Kappa calls it the Executioner's Sword. This is association, associated with the need to make a choice between all the options that we have been thinking about over our, our journey through Gemini, trying to harmonize all the different opposites. And at this point, we just need to kind of like let one of the options go. One of the twins has to give up some of its immortality so that the, whatever we are going to give our energy to can live. So this is something where if you've been going back and forth about what you desire, exploring all the different options, at this point, you need to just kind of commit to one of them and let go of the other choices so that you can move forward with your life. Uh, and that might be painful. Um, I just gave a talk at the Great Lakes Astrology Conference about the different associations with the Deccans and the Tarot. And in the Thema Mundi, the Gemini was you know, the 12th house of the cosmos. And I talked about in my talk that you know, the 12th house was a house that was what was before the ascendant. This was what was on the ascendant by primary motion just previously. So you can think about, if we think about the ascendant as the union of body and soul, everything that comes before that is when we're, you know, trying to incarnate. When we, and I told a story of like, uh, that was, I believe, told in Plato's Timaeus about choosing your lot in life. And you were you were given a, uh, you were there were a bunch of lives cast before you lots that you didn't necessarily have a choice over okay but then you got to choose from the ones that were distributed which one that you were going to live out and then you manif you you uh, incarnated into a body and that was your fate that was uh, pretty much written okay it was like woven okay and so a lot of the twelfth house themes I think are about uh, that existential crisis of making a choice. And, and at some point, you have, finally have to make that choice so that you can um, bring whatever it is that you want to do into form. And uh, I, I would encourage you to, to, to go through that journey and finally make that choice when Venus is going through the third decan of Gemini. Now, finally, Mercury is going to conjoin the fixed star Canopus at 15 degrees of Cancer. And again, this was the keel of the ship of the Argo, where we're going on a great journey. So this may be, once you've made a choice about what you want to do, this Mercury being conjoined, this, this fixed star, may help you navigate through the waters. It may be the, the guide, maybe like the compass through, through the uh, journey that you've chosen. So we may have some really inspired thoughts that lead us in, in, into the unknown and into our, our desire to explore. Um, the only downside of this is that Canopus was a pretty, like I said, Canopus was a pretty, um, he had his set way of where he wanted, he, he knew where he wanted to go. So just be careful in your conversations uh, that you don't get too fixated on the how and you get, stay connected with the, the essence, the why, right? And 
because this could potentially, as we move into early next week, we could see a conflict with, with Mars having a square with Mercury. So you may want to move in a certain direction based on your, your thoughts on how it should go, but that could come into conflict with you know, how someone else wants to do something. And this is true with the moon moving through Libra too. We really have to have an awareness of other people's uh, viewpoints. Um, and w- we will literally see as we move forward through this particular day, a big giant cardinal cross happening okay, between all of those planets and like all this, this stuff in Capricorn too. See this? We got an opposition between moon and Mars. Mercury is making a square. So we maybe just feel stuck between a rock and a hard place. We're trying to figure out what stays and what goes. We have questions of life and death, abundance and scarcity. And then we're having equal questions of I versus we and how we are balancing out um, our own personal desires versus the good of the partnership. Um, So good luck. (laughs) Remember to breathe. Remember that, uh, you know, hope is good. Compromise is not necessarily bad. Um, You can advocate for your own needs while also taking into account someone else's needs. Um, I think that's very important. All right. Well, I think that that's what I've got for this week. Thank you for hanging out with me through the the thunderstorms of, of life here. If we look forward to next week, the 27th through August the 2nd, on Monday the 27th, we have a first quarter moon with uh, the Scorpio moon squaring the uh, Leo sun. Um, Jupiter will be making a sextile to Neptune. We will have a Venus-Neptune square at 20 degrees of Gemini and Pisces. And then during that week, we'll talk about the fixed stars associated with the third decan of Gemini because Venus will be conjoining all of those. There's some really interesting symbolism there, uh, including more of the stars in Orion as well. Uh, Mercury will then perfect that square to Mars at 16 degrees of Cancer and uh, Aries, yes, uh, on Monday. So again, that's what our weekend is building up to on Monday is that that square in, in viewpoints potentially. Uh, then on Thursday, the 30th, um, Mercury will move into the third decan of Cancer. We'll talk about the fixed stars in that decan in relationship to Mercury. Um, Mercury will oppose Jupiter retrograde at 20, 20 degrees, um, and then it will make a trine to Neptune at 20 degrees. And then on Saturday, the 1st, Mercury is making opposition to Pluto, and then we'll end next week with the Sun making it square to Uranus. Fun times as we build towards that full moon that happens on Monday the 3rd. So we're having a moon, I'm sorry, Mars, oh geez, (laughs) I'll get through it, we're almost done. The sun will be squaring Uranus at a very similar time as the moon will be coming full in Aquarius. So that is gonna be a big T-square in the sky that is probably gonna be a period of tension. So just, recognize that that's on the horizon do your proper self-care and recognize that we've got some bumpy waters that are moving forward and you know in addition to the the mars uh retrograde that's coming in september and the ongoing mars saturn square so that's what i've got for today thank you all for hanging out with me i appreciate you going on these sky journeys with me um i hope to eventually develop some of the mythological and sky observation and astrology into uh, either some more workshops or classes. So uh, that is something that, I'm, that is in the works. 
um, trying to figure out how to organize all these things so we can do it in more of a long form type of interaction uh, uh, online, of course, here. And um, yeah, keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, and just hang in there over the next few weeks. Um, uh, like I said, try to practice all your, your self-cares and your uh, ability to see this as temporary and that it won't be like this forever. Even though there may be a lot of tension right now, we've got to kind of embrace that unknown. We've got to embrace Saturn right now. We've got to embrace the black hole. We've got to embrace that some of the, the structures that we've have given us comfort and security no longer are appropriate to serve us as a community, and we need to learn to let go of them. And as we do that gracefully, we, we, we hopefully will be able to move through our lives and create better structures that will be more fair and equitable for, for everyone. So that's what I've got for this week. Uh, if you are liking these videos, make sure that you hit that subscribe button, uh, share it with your friends. There are a few donation links if you want to keep supporting the work that I do. That is very much appreciated. I received a nice uh, donation last week from, from someone, who, a listener. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. I appreciate it. I see you. And it is so awesome when, when people are supporting my work like that. Um, it definitely, uh, I definitely appreciate all of you. So um, yeah, I will see everyone next week. Take care, everyone, and, and treat each other kindly. Peace.